Welcome to season seven of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Are you passionate about leadership education? Do you want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? Then this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are really looking forward to this episode of the podcast. And we'll tell you why in just a moment. So in our seventh season here, we are shifting our focus a bit to advancing the leadership education community of practice uh, by exploring exemplary mentor-mentee relationships in the field. We're learning from scholars who write and speak and develop mentor programs in higher education and asking the big question, you know, how do mentors help leadership educators who program and conduct research and teach? Yeah, so so this episode is really special for me. Um, I have my mentor, Dr. Wanda Lewis Campbell. She is the reason why I am in leadership education at all. So this this mentoring recording mentoring episodes has been special, but this is really special um, today. Uh, she is retired, happily retired. Uh, she is a former assistant dean of student activities and a faculty member at Temple University. And currently, um, as you know, those that are active, I think our friend Craig, Craig Slack calls them joy jobs. Um, she's also currently serving as the director for one of the best school districts in the country, the North Penn School Board. Uh, Wanda, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. So glad to be here. So I'll start and share just a little bit. And I'm surprised, but if y'all listen to the podcast, you know I believe in serendipity because I feel like at some point we're going to realize Wanda and Dan cross paths too, because I (laughs) feel it in my spirit. So Wanda and I met in the summer of 1999 when I enrolled at Temple Ambler. So I was a 17-year-old. I didn't want to go to Temple at all. My mom made me go to Temple because my aunt went to Temple. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go here and then transfer to the school I actually wanted to go to. But lo and behold, Wanda got me in her claws. She made me love Temple. We had so much fun. She planned great events. She gave great advice. She encouraged me to get involved and and become a leader. She she didn't just do this for me. She did this for hundreds and possibly thousands of students on campus. After I graduated, we, of course, always stayed connected. And then later on, when I was looking to transition out of athletics and into higher education, I I honestly, I called her to talk about my career path. And she was like, well, you know, my my program coordinator just left. Like, I know it's not athletics, but I feel like you would be great in the role. You know, and I was like, like, yes, of course, I'll come back. And so but she put me through the ringer. She didn't just give me the job. She was like you really have to earn this this role. And fortunately I did. And I worked under her for four years in student activities and saw everything from orientation to commencement. And so it gave me a broad scope of what student affairs offered. And what I clung to was the leadership piece. And, and once she found that out, she you know, was always pushing me to do leadership activities and creating opportunities so that I could really hone my craft so that when the director of the universities uh, when the that position became open, she was like, oh, "You're a shoo-in. 
and ran down the whole list of why I would be great at that job. And so she was definitely someone who has always encouraged me. We've actually known each other 23 years. I, I can't lie anymore about being 26. You no know <laughs> math, you know math. Um, but yeah, so 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 that's kind of our genesis. But Dan, you don't know Wanda yet. So I wonder what question you want to start out with since this is your first time meeting Wanda. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. Just uh, we got to chat a little bit before we started recording and, and uh, hearing Lauren talk about you, Wanda, so many times since uh, since Lauren and I have been working on this podcast. And so I did learn that we both worked at the University of South Florida, but uh, we didn't overlap there, which, uh, which is my loss. <laughs> but I'd be curious, what are three important things to know about you? for our listeners before we uh, kind of learn a little bit more about your trajectory and, and your relationship with, with Lauren as a, as a mentor. Oh, okay. Um, well, Dan, yeah, I wish we had met at USF because that's where I cut my teeth on higher education at the University of South Florida. And I loved it. I loved that entire experience. And um, so three things to know about me. And I tell people this, I live to love and I love to live. That's important about me that I'm all about trying to enjoy my life, um, loving people. Um, and I'm trying to think another thing to know about me. Uh, I'm married to my college sweetheart and um, we've been married 44 years and we're like two kids. Like last night we went to a Mary J. Blige concert and we were sending our adult children pictures of us at the concert, and they were cracking up. They're like, you are doing like two kids at a concert. So married to my college sweetheart and um, my faith and my beliefs and my religion and my God is what has sustained me and kept me over all these years, even no matter what I've gone through in student affairs and out of student. So those are the well, how cool. I'm glad you included your faith because it reminds me of how we were in undergrad at our satellite campus. We didn't have public transportation. And a lot of us came from places where we were used to having public transportation everywhere. And I remember on Sunday mornings, you got your church van to come over and pick up students so that they yeah. could continue to worship and go to church, even though they weren't at their home church. So mm -hmm. I'm glad you shared that because I know for sure that is a, a foundational part of your life. Now, you alluded to it a little bit, but how did you get into student affairs? Like what happened between college, graduate, like your undergrad and USF that, that put you in that space? Well, after I graduated from Livingstone College in Salisbury, North Carolina, right outside of Charlotte, and it's an HBCU, um, I went to um, Connecticut and my first job was as a social worker in Connecticut at a childcare agency. And um, while I was there, I ended up going to UConn um, to get my master's in social work. And so after I got my master's from UConn, um, I got married. And my husband, that college sweetheart, was uh, his first job was in Tampa, Florida. So that's, we got married, had a big wedding, no honeymoon because he had to get back to work. So we went straight back to Tampa, Florida. And while I was there, I was looking for positions and social work. And I know I interviewed for something in Boys and Girls Club. Um, but then somebody told me about there's a position, a part-time position at USF. 
And I said, well, I'd like to get into higher ed. Let me apply for that. And of course, my skills were transferable. And that's what I let students know. You know, those skills, what you learn, hopefully you can parlay them into something um, that you want. And so since those skills were transferable, I applied and it was a part-time position and I got the position. And from there, I, uh, and that was working with students. And I worked as the minority student organization advisor for uh, probably a year. And uh, my mentor, Phyllis Marshall, who Dan knows of because that student center at USF is named after her. Um, she um, called me and wanted to talk to me. Oh, I decided to go ahead. Me and my husband said, well, let's go ahead and start our family. You know, let's have, let's go ahead and try to have a baby. And I did. I had my daughter because I was only in a part-time job. And um, so, you know, part-time meant you don't work, you don't get paid. Holidays, you don't get paid. Master's degree, I was making minimum wage. And you could imagine what minimum wage was back in 1978. I wasn't even making enough money to buy the stockings I had to wear to work. You know, back then we wore stockings to work. I know that's foreign to these students today. But, um, and Phyllis Marshall called me and said, Wanda, I have a position I want you to apply for. And I said, oh, okay. So, and this was after I had my daughter and I applied and I did get the position of, um, I think I got program advisor. So I went from minority student advisor to program advisor and then the student activities coordinator opened and I applied and I was going against my supervisor at the time, but I was good. Not saying he wasn't, but I was good. So I applied for the position and I did get it. So I went from student activities coordinator at USF running everything student affairs related in the union, student union um, regarding the, the, the life and experience of students. And from there, I became the assistant, assistant to the vice president of student affairs. And I could never figure out what that title meant. All the NASPA conferences and everywhere I went, I never ran into anyone who was assistant to the vice president. It kind of sounded like I was his administrative assistant. I'm like, no, I'm not. But um, anyway, that led to me becoming the associate dean. And when I left USF, I was the associate dean of students in student affairs. That, that's where I cut my teeth having all kinds of experiences. My husband got kicked up in corporate America, meaning transferred, and we came north. And um, that's how I ended up at Temple University. Yeah, that was such an interesting trajectory. And, you know, we always hear about how, how do people end up at the different universities they end up with? I mean, for me, after, you know, I failed out of law school and uh, decided to move back to Tampa where my family was from. And um, and so, uh, you know, it's like, hey, let's go back to Tampa, you know, and then I that's how I ended up, um, you know, starting programs back there and then ultimately, you know, working there at USF. You know, and you were mentioning Phyllis Marshall, who, you know, they they tore down the old Marshall Center and built a new one that was one of the top student centers in the in the country when that went up. I want to say, oh, eight, maybe oh. No, maybe 07, something like that. But I remember sharing that at like a family event 
And my uh, some all my parents and my uh, two of my uncles and my aunt, so my mom's sister, and then my dad's two brothers. They all graduated from USF, oh, wow. and and they uh, in the seventies there. And my uncle was like, he was like, oh, they built a new student center. He's like, is it still named after? Is it still the Marshall Center? I said, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's like I used to work with Phyllis, you know. And yeah. he's like, I think I have some pictures, and he did. He did pull them up and had all these pictures of them. I think I, I couldn't exactly figure out exactly what what he did, but he was some type of you know work study or or, or something like that. But spent mm-hmm. at least two or three years because he had fond memories of of her. Um, and so that so you mentioned you know Phyllis as one of your mentors. Um, you know, who were some of your mentors, maybe at, at Temple and maybe with Phyllis too? Like, how did they help you to kind of lead those student affairs efforts um, at USF and at Temple? Well, and let me say again that um, the Marshall Center was named after Phyllis Marshall and she was still alive. Right, right. Because they didn't name buildings after living people. She was the first person I've known that had a building named after her while she was alive. And um, Phyllis was well-known um, at USF, across the state, uh, in NASPA, across the country, in NASPA, National Association of Student Personnel Administrators. Uh, she took me to conferences with her um, at USF. She took me under her wing and just said, Wanda, you need to learn about these things. And, and plus, mind you, I didn't have a student affairs background. So every meeting that she had, she would ask if uh, I wanted to go or just tell me, Wanda, I want you to go with me. And I was sitting there in amazement how this woman ran those meetings with all men. Now you have to understand the times. This was in the 70s. Women weren't in charge. Women didn't run meetings. Yet Phyllis Marshall ran those meetings like she was supposed to be there. She owned the room when she went in. And so I learned that from her, that if I have a seat at the table, use my voice and um, speak up. Um, Don't act like you don't know, because guess what? Some of the others in there don't know either. And so those are kinds of things that I learned from her. Um, She would put me out there, make sure that... um, I could represent uh, at student events and other events with faculty and staff. And that's so amazing because I learned how to speak on my feet. Um, If if I was at a student event and um, they said, oh, but we see Rhonda Lewis Campbell in the audience. Um, Would you like to say something? You know, how do you say no? You, You say something. And I learned that from Phyllis Marshall. And then when I got to Temple, um, it's so funny, everybody would ask me, well, why did you leave Florida? That good weather coming to Philadelphia, to Temple University. And it wasn't, you know, I I said that my husband got transferred up there. So that's why I ended up there. And um, I saw the position in the newspaper and there was There was no such thing as all this online (laughs) looking for jobs and all of that as it is now. I saw it in the newspaper. I read it and I said, oh, my God, this is me. I've done all this. I can do this. Yeah. Let me apply for this job. And I applied for it. 
and was selected for the position at Temple University's Ambler campus, which was their satellite campus. And so um, being that I was there, I'm trying to think, I was the chief student affairs officer there. There were no student affairs folk there. There was the dean uh, of the campus. And at the time I reported to the, was she an assistant dean? The assistant dean at the campus. And um, eventually I connected with student affairs folk at the main campus. And uh, 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 Dr. Valeda Walker, or you might remember her or have heard that name. She was the, the vice president of student affairs. And so she invited me to her meetings and told me I could come. And so I had kind of a dotted line responsibility to the main campus, but my main responsibilities were at the Ambler campus where I ran everything from, like Lauren said, orientation, student leadership activities, programming events, um, speakers, things of that nature, all the way up to our, um, our, our, our commencement that we had at that campus and things of that nature. So that's how I got there. And um, it's funny because you asked who was my mentor. I didn't really have any then at that campus because nobody was in student affairs. And um, but the assistant dean that I reported to, she was there for me to bounce things off of, um, to ask questions um, if I got frustrated or anything. She was there to help me. So yeah, she she ended up being my mentor at. You know, it's, it's so interesting that you say that. I almost feel like USF, like you said, cut your teeth. They, you know, Phyllis Marshall sounds like she prepared you to really lead in that space. And the the core tenets of, of who you were as a leader at Ambler kind of were already crafted in there. And so it mm -hmm. just kind of felt like after opportunity, after opportunity, after opportunity, you were able to use those things that you knew were at the heart of being a, a student affairs work leader. I know one of the things I take from you is I watched you like fight your colleagues who you love them as people, but they were fundamentally doing something that that harmed a student. Like I watched you have those tough conversations and not let your like emotions take over or, you know, like you were effective <laughs> at getting folks to like, you know, hey, hey, these are the students and we're here for them. And, yes. and to me, it seems so natural. And I moved into other spaces and it wasn't like that. And I was like, oh, yeah. like, and, and I even think about now with my teaching style being student-centered, I just, my students are sometimes surprised when I'm like, well, are, like, are you just okay as a person? You know, now it's kind of, it's expected, especially mm -hmm. with COVID, to ask right. students. But I've always asked students how they were because I learned that student-centered nature from being around you and hearing you advocate for that. Um, so I'm sure that came from somewhere. But I'm wondering, like, where's some of like your like Phyllis's advice or other people's advice? Um, where did you use those in your work at Temple Ambler? Well, Lauren, it's interesting that you said that, but the student was the heart of what I did. Um, you may or may not remember, I had a sign in my office that said, the student is the most important person on the campus. And I had that sign in my office to remind me that that's why I'm here. And I would have to tell staff that, not just my staff, but other people as well. If it weren't for those students, we wouldn't be here. 
we wouldn't have a job. So they're the most important person on the campus. And it's time we recognize that because so many times people view the students as an inconvenience. Who do you want? You're interrupting me. Uh, okay, I'm going over here to admissions or somewhere trying to get a course. And, and, and they didn't, they weren't that friendly to students. And, and, and I just couldn't understand that because my vision was they're the most important person and we need to do what we need to do to help them. And I can recall when I had uh, students come down from Connecticut to Temple Ambler campus, um, just drove down, two of them, they were really good friends. And one of them, you know, Keisha Johnson and her friend, they came down to USF, couldn't get into the I meant Tamp, uh, Temple, couldn't get into the residence halls. They slept in the uh, Bright Hall Lounge on the sofas all night because they drove down and nobody was there to receive them. And when I came to work the next day, I found them sleeping in Bright Hall Lounge. I'm like, what's going on? Well, why can't you get into your, your dorm space? And, you know, back then it wasn't residence halls. It was your dorm. And um, they said they told me I had to wait and I couldn't get in. And oh my gosh, I hit the roof. I took those students over there. I told housing, no, you need to get them into housing. And it was it was easier back then because you knew the players, you knew the people and they had the space. So if they didn't have the space, that would have been one thing, but they had the space. But to make them go through this red tape and, and you have to wait until 12 noon and, and, and well, we have to see where you fall on the list hey, these young ladies drove down here and had to sleep in Bright Hall Lounge. I could not believe it. And so I made sure, and to this day, she's also one of those students who I mentored, who keeps in touch with me. And Kathleen, her friend, uh, ended up moving south to Florida, uh, Dan. And the, here these were two young ladies, black and white, good friends. They drove down. And this is what happened to them. And I had to rectify that situation because I couldn't believe it. And they both had ended up having good experiences at Temple. And more than good experiences because Keisha ended up becoming an RD, an RC and an RA, RC, RD. Uh -huh. she, she ended up not just turning Ambler into her home and making sure nobody else had that experience. She also worked for, I think, like 10 years easy in residence life. So an she incident did. like that, that could be harmful, could really deter you from the university. She flipped it with your guidance and mm -hmm. turned into someone who was a resource. Like she, she wasn't my R, resident RC, but in my specific hall, but she organized the events. She made sure if you needed her, you could talk to her. Yes, she Fast did. forward to us working together as colleagues. She was uh -huh. still there. And so it's amazing to think about her first night, that was her experience. And then she went and kind of dedicated her work to making sure other students didn't have that experience. For yeah, sure. and she talks about that to this day and talks about what I did to intervene and help and how I'm a, a, a mentor to her. And I've spoken to her students. I've spoken at different events. She calls me in to, can you speak to this group? I'm having RA training or this or that. Can you come and present to them? And of course, I always say yes. But yeah, it. it I, I don't think we understand that 
what happens to a student when they first come to our campuses, that's crucial. That can make them or break them. And that situation with those two students could have broken them, but it didn't break either of them. They decided they wanted to come. They came from Connecticut. They wanted to show their families that they could make it because their families wanted them to stay in school in Connecticut. And here they came to Philadelphia and the surrounding areas and made it. So that was crucial. The the other thing I, I want to ask you and, and where kind of who in your mentoring or where did you get this from? You always had creative fun activities for us to do. And I don't, I don't know in my my student affairs textbooks, I missed that chapter. But where did that those creative and fun things? And you were always you would always even push me sometimes, like, nope, let's be more creative. Nope, let's, you know, where did that that creativity come from? Um who or what kind of where how did that show up well and that's funny because it, it goes back to I live to love and I love to live and and I I wanted the students to have the best experience um and I thought about even my own college experience and and, and what I did not have but that I wanted my students to have and so um, I was always researching and checking into what's the latest trend? What are they doing out there? How can I bring that to my students? So what that I'm at a smaller campus, they deserve it too. And so I did all of those things, just trying to reach out to ensure that my students had a good experience because college is supposed to be the best four or five or six years of your life, four hopefully. And, and so in those four years, you should have experienced just about everything. And Lauren, um, in regards to even bringing in speakers, I brought in top-notch speakers on the lecture circuit out there to, to Temple Ambler's campus. But I got that from the University of South Florida. I led the lecture series at the University of South Florida that had a team of about 12 people at on the uh, lecture series committee. And we, we, we battled and rehashed and uh, made recommendations of who we wanted to bring to the University of South Florida. Some controversial, some funny, some serious, I mean, all kinds, just trying to expose students. And I won an award for having the best lecture series in the country, Dan, at USF. There's an award there somewhere, a big silver bowl that's engraved best lecture series in the country. And so that was because I had a big budget. <laughs> you know, budgets can make you or break you. And so I used that budget to make sure we had a rounded group of people. And we had some people that didn't want to be inclusive and bring in diverse people, but we did. I had a number of people that were now out there way back then at the University of South Florida. So when I got to uh, Temple Ambler with this minuscule budget, trying to bring in speakers, because that's what students remember. Oh, wow, I saw, um, uh, I saw a president. I saw an outstanding person. I saw an actor or whomever. That's what they remember about their college experience. So when I got to uh, Temple Ambler, I had a tiny budget, but I called in all my favors to all those agencies that I used to book from and, and, and fill their pockets when I had the big budget. 
And I said, look, I'm at a different school and I need you to help me. I can't afford some of those people. So you need to work with me to get me, give me some good people to bring to my students here at of South of Te Temples University. So, and, and, and we made it happen. We made it happen, just trying to ensure that students got the overall best experience. And part of my problem of why I wanted to do all this fun stuff and creative things is I was everybody's mother. <laughs> I didn't try to be, but I was everybody's mother. And I brought students there. I brought students there um, and, and, and did things for them because at orientation, I promised their parents that I would take good care of them. I promised their parents that they would have a good experience and I'm here to ensure that they did have a good experience. Um, so I did my best to try to uh, uh, make that happen for them. You, you did a good job, I'm sure. I'm sure, <laughs> I, I know, personally. <laughs> uh, I think about, so before, so I know Dan's got a bunch of questions, but I'll share one funny story. So we're actually, I and I don't know where, I feel like I told this story before, but we're talking about, you know, the creative and fun activities that you planned and how we were always just like, you know, trying to put on great events. And I always share um, us having to talk while I was in labor giving birth. And people are like, no, but if you're in student activities, you understand. So we had our winter formal and I messed around and went into labor five weeks early. And I had all the documentation as coordinator. I had all the documentation for the dance and, and you entrusted me to plan it. And, you know, you knew I was going to take care of it. And lo and behold, I mess around and go into labor. And so I remember us like talking and texting and you weren't intrusive and it wasn't appropriate. It was, it was like, we still got this event and the students are going to wonder where you are if you're not there. And I can't wait to meet your baby because I know he's going to be so cute. Um, and so it was, it was a nice, like in an earlier mentoring space, uh, you know, Susan and John talked about they kind of became family somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we were a family by then, we were definitely family at that point because I'm still like, I'm concerned about giving birth, but I'm also like, but this dance, these kids, these students plan this dance for six weeks. And it can't not happen because I'm in labor, you know, and it seems a little wild, but I feel like if you've been in student activities, it doesn't seem, I just wanted to share. It was such a funny story <laughs> and you can probably confirm the truth that it did actually happen. Oh yeah. It does oh, seem yeah. a little outrageous. <laughs> right, right, Dan? <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, only in student affairs, right? <laughs> only in student affairs. And, and Lauren, with you, you know, it's so funny, but Lauren was my right hand. And everything I did, she knew of. And, and that's how I wanted my students to be. I didn't want it to be that you couldn't make a decision if I was at, at a meeting or at a conference. I didn't want to tie their hands where they didn't know what to do. And they'd have to say, well, I can't do anything until she gets back. And so um, I trusted her. I, I, I raised her in that space. So I knew that she, uh, what she could do and so having to call her because it was her responsibility, but I was also involved. There was just a, a, a little connection that I didn't have that I needed to call her. Otherwise, I would never have called her toward labor. But we talked and got it done. And the students have a, had a wonderful time and she had a beautiful baby boy. So, um, you know, you did what you had to do to make it happen for those students. And um, 
that was one of those things. It's a funny story. Definitely an interesting moment. And you're right. You were like, I, I think it was the cookies. It was the Ambler cookies that we had to go get. Like that was like the last missing piece. And you're like, you're so organized. I can't find this one sheet. And I'm like, here, let's go. And then I, I'm pretty sure you had the DJ announce that I had the baby yeah. at dance because of the course. students That's, were like on his <laughs> Where's Lauren? They had to know, where is Lauren? Well, guess what? She's in the hospital and had a baby boy, little Braylon. <laughs> I love that story. I love that story. I mean, you can't you can't make that stuff up. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting, you know, so you were saying, you know, you felt like building off of what Lauren had shared about, you know, from John and Susan about this idea of your family, right? Mentors and, and mentees becoming family and the, the evolution of, of y'all's mentor-mentee relationship. And you kind of said, oh, you know, I feel like I was all these students' mothers, right? Like just that that mothering, like, you know, aspect that that you took on. Like, how, how did you how did you know what mentoring strategies or approaches, behaviors like to use when you were mentoring all these students and young professionals? That's a good question, Dan. I always believed in self-disclosing so I always shared my story with my students um, because a lot of times they think they're the only ones that are in this situation or that encountered this, this situation. So I always self-disclosed and try to let them know um, what happened to me along the way and how they can do it. Don't worry about this. You'll overcome it. So I self-disclosed. I role modeled. I walked the walk and talked the talk because I believed in that. I believed in being a role model for them so they can see what needed to be done as well as um, um, was there for them if, if they needed to uh, uh, um, meet with a professor um, and if I needed to make the call and have a segue into that conversation just to help the student, I did that. I, I just believed in being there for my students. And um, in terms of, they watched me. And, and I always tell students, somebody is always watching you. You don't think people are watching you. Somebody is always watching you. And so guess what? Eyes were on me. And with those eyes on me, I had to make sure that I came correct. And even times that I was frustrated and upset, there were certain things that I just couldn't show to them because I wanted to lead the way and be a role model for them so they could see how to navigate the landscape of what they needed to do um, in getting ahead, be it um, student activities and events, programming, leadership, and even talking with their professors. You know, I would role play with students in my office about, okay, what are you going to say? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? Okay, bounce it off me. Let's act like I'm that advisor or I'm that person you're going to speak to. So you'll have an idea of how to do it. You know, we forget that these students come to college and they don't have those experiences. Um, I guess students today may have more experiences, but they didn't have those experiences. Some of them were first generational college students. So they didn't know, their parents didn't know. Um, and so that's why I became everybody's mother because, and, and I had to stop myself because sometimes I'm like, hey, let them do it. Sometimes you got to let them fail. Sometimes you have to nurture them and guide them and direct them. Um, but when they say, well, no, I want to do it this way, and no problem. 
go ahead, go ahead, try it on your own and see what you think. And then they would see that maybe I should have listened to you, but I didn't try to be everybody's mother. It was just so natural. My mother and instinct <laughs> came out because I had two children of my own too. Mm -hmm. I think that the living and loving piece is what it is. Like hearing you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because you, you know, you were always a good time. Just meaning it was a joy to go to the office and work. You know, I didn't dread showing up. It was like, all right, what are we going to get into today? What's on our plate? What work do we have to do? But I also felt like you, you were like, you were appropriate. Like whatever someone needed, if they needed a shoulder to cry on, you were that. If they needed like a kind of kick in the butt, like you were that. So it was really just being very aware of what folks needed to hear and, and, and giving that to them especially in a formal role, like, you know, like I, I had grew up, my parents were very involved in my life, still very involved in my life. And you really taught me about being a professional in that space, but you did it in a way where it, it, it was personal. It's like, all right, look here, Lauren, this is what you need to, you, okay. You got like, you were the one who said like, you got to figure out the budget. Cause if you're going to run a department, they're going to expect you to know how the money's going. And so here, let's talk through this contract. Let's talk through this you know, budget. Let's talk to these pay, uh, payroll forms here. Fill this out. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do this, do that. So when I, like, I remember when I got the leadership job, my selling point wasn't that I knew all this stuff about leadership. My selling point was if you change the access, my folk number, I can get all these past due bills you have paid in the next two weeks. Cause I know how Temple's financial system, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so when I had grad externs, they all, we talked through budget, we talked through planning. I had them um, submit paperwork on campus. I had them go mentor, like meet other people on campus. I took them, brought them with me to meetings because I knew in their master's program, they were very vocal about how they weren't learning those things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, so you're learning a lot of good information, but also, they're going to expect you to know how to budget works and a cost center and all things. And so I feel like it was like, you kind of, what folks needed, you had a way of figuring that out. Well, and, and it's funny too, because when I came to Temple, I had done everything at the University of South Florida. And that's why I said I cut my teeth there. I, I did everything, working with all departments, um, just everything from soup to nuts, at the University of South Florida, such a great experience. So when I came to Temple Ambler's campus, um, I could do all those things. And I, I knew how to do those things. And I knew to ask the right questions and go to people. And, you know, I wasn't afraid that they would say, oh, that's the dean. You can't go talk to him. Well, why not? He's Dean. Okay. He puts his pants on. Same way I put mine on it. So I would make an appointment to go talk to the Dean and they were open to that. Um, it wasn't like, well, you're in student affairs. You can't come over here and talk to me. And so Lauren, you were so easy to mentor <laughs> because you were eager to learn. You wanted to get everything and, and and learn everything. And and Dan, I don't want you to think that I just hired Lauren, like it was so easy that I called and said, oh, I'm going to give you this job. It doesn't work like that. She had to go through the process. She had to uh, uh, go through all the little ins and outs of applying and interviewing and, 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 and to get to me. And then when she got to me, that's when the magic happened. So she didn't just get the job. I told her about the job. I said, but now, of course, you have to apply. I can't guarantee it, but I want you to apply because I think you'd be good at it. 
And then when she did come, um, having she cut her teeth at, in student affairs and programming and activities as a student there. And I thought, oh, wow, those those experiences would be great to have in the office. And, and she ended up being great. So mentoring her was easy. She was organized up the yin yang. She was more organized than I was. And I needed somebody like that. So mentoring, um, I guess when I think about that, you as the person being mentored, you need to also bring something to the table. You have to show an eagerness to want to learn and want to be mentored as well. And um, find your voice, open your mouth and say, gosh, I really would like to learn this. Can you help me? Can you ensure I get those experiences? And that's the kind of person she was. So mentoring her made it very Full disclosure, I wanted to run the university. So somebody had to teach me. Somebody had to, somebody, you look like you were running things, folks <laughs> fell in line around you at the time. At, you know, when I started, I really thought I wanted to be a vice president of student affairs. Mm-hmm. And I have since learned that I love teaching and leadership education. And so, but, but I still can run a cost center if somebody shows up with, with love. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> Uh, so the last question that we have, um, so you gave a little bit of advice to mentees, but a lot of our guests run leadership programs or teach leadership classes. What advice would you give to them that are, are running these programs or interacting in the classroom with students around leadership? What advice would you give to them? I guess I would say to them, um, to be real, bring their authentic selves to those meetings. Um, don't be afraid to share with students maybe some of your failures and how you overcame them. Um, because, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, you've been a professional all, all your life, your students uh, or and the people you're working with. You never had a struggle. You never had a problem. And so it was easy for you. And I think if we bring our authentic selves to the group as we run those programs and they know that um, I went through some of the same struggles that you went through, and yet this is how I overcame them. Um, I would also say be sure to um, put your students in groups so they can share with each other, so they can learn about other people so that they can also see that um, everybody comes from a different perspective and and what's the vantage point for him or her or you or whatever. So put your students in groups, teach them what leadership is, um, maybe have a leadership course where they have to show up uh, however many weeks so they could get it under their belt and learn what it is they need to learn about what leadership is. Um, And even those people running those programs, I would hope that they teach some of those courses, not always farm it out to, well, I'm going to get somebody from the School of Business to do this, or I'm going to get somebody from the College of Education. Well, what about you teaching it? What about you bringing yourself out there? And that's a part of bringing your authentic self to the table so they can see what you're all about as well. And I would say, give them experiences try to incorporate some speakers, bring in speakers from the field that can um, 
even talk about how they got to where they are, because that's what I find students like. They want to know how you got to where you are and what was it like for you? And um, you know what I realized early on is that as much as I shared my story with students, I hadn't really shared my story with my own children. And so I shared that with my children because your children grow up thinking you've been successful all your life. You know, mom and dad have always had good jobs. Mom and dad, you know, they were always the bomb. I had to share with my students, I mean, my kids, how, and when my daughter graduated college and was looking for a job and mom, I don't know what I want to do. And all my friends are getting jobs. And why am I not knowing what I want to do? I had to explain to her my trajectory and how I got to where I got. Baby, I wasn't always successful. I didn't always have the right job. Sometimes you may have to take a part-time job to get your foot in the door. And so I shared that with my own children as well as my students to let them know because students, they have this glorified picture of back, back in the day, I'm going to get out and I'm going to make $50,000 a year. Yeah, right. You may not. And so you have to be open to doing what you need to do to get in the door. And that might mean taking a part-time position. And that's what I did and continued to climb after that. So I think students want to hear about your story, how you got to where you are. And some of those people running those programs, if they can share that, even share their failures, you know, you don't have to give them all your dirt. I'm not saying that, but share what you did to become and how you navigated and how you, your trajectory went up and who who you um who you counted on as your mentors and what you did i just think sharing all of that with your students will help them wow yeah that's just so much so much sage advice and and just what a lovely conversation and now i think i understand Laura maybe a little bit better <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, just what a great career that, that you've had and, and impacted as, as I think either you or Lauren alluded to, you know, not just hundreds, but but I'm sure thousands and thousands of students and how lucky not only the students were, but the, the staff that got to work with you and, and benefit from your approach and, and your and your wisdom. And that's just that's just amazing. And so th- thank you. Thank you for your time today. We're, we're so grateful. I know this was a long time coming as Lauren and I were putting together ideas of who we wanted to have on this this season. And so we're, we're so happy you took a break from your retirement and uh, to chat with us today and wish you the best of luck in your service to the, uh, the North Penn School Board um, and the community there. Thank you for having me. Good luck with your future podcast. Thank you. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at leadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars. As the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. 
we'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.